Welcome to the Girl Gang Craft Podcast, where we dive in deep to all things business, wellness, creativity, and activism for artists and entrepreneurs. We talk with impactful, female-driven companies and founders for an inside look at the entrepreneurial experience, where you'll come away with tangible steps to elevate your business. Are you ready? I'm your host, Phoebe Sherman, founder of Girl Gang Craft, artist and designer and marketing obsessed. We're here to learn together how to expand our revenue, implement new organizational techniques, and cultivate best business practices as we work towards creating a life doing what we love. Let's get started. Hello, creatives. Welcome back to the Girl Gang Craft podcast. I'm really excited today because we have Laura Wong from Lady Moon Co. And we go back a bit. Honestly, I don't even remember like how we met through the internet, of course. And then like you did our LA show and then you did our Oakland show. I don't know. Maybe we like did a pin trade back in the day. That sounds familiar. (laughs) I feel like it was a pin trade. Yeah. The pin trade days. Yeah. Your little glue gun. (laughs) That's a witchcraft. I think I have your ovaries. Yeah. (laughs) It was definitely in that era of we're all, you know, trading and supporting each other and posting about each other's shit. Like that was a thing. That was fun. (laughs) Love it. I know. Miss those days. So, Laura, who are you and what is Lady Moon Co? Introduce yourself to our audience. (laughs) Well, hello, everyone. My name is Laura Wong, and I am the owner and designer behind Lady Moon Co., Lady Moon Company. We are an apparel brand, apparel accessories, lifestyle brand for witches by witches. I make shit for witches. Yes, (laughs) that is me. (laughs) Great. And so, like... What? How did you start this? Tell us a little bit about the Lady Moon Co. origin story. Okay. So I am a trained actor, performing artist. That's my background is performing artistry. So I did, I'm a theater kid. I was an actor in LA. I've been a real estate agent. Like these things, it wasn't like I grew up thinking, I want to own a business someday and be a witch. Like I was always, I've been practicing witchcraft my whole life since I was a little kid, I self-taught myself and, you know, I've developed that over the years, blah, blah, blah. It's something I've always been very passionate about and very secretive about. So acting, if you've ever been to an audition or acted in LA for, I did it for like five years and I got burnt out. So I was like, what else can I do? You know, besides work at, I worked for a production company I did, you know, normal jobs and and worked for retail stores and I just didn't want to work for anybody else anymore. And I wanted to, my husband is an entrepreneur and he sort of encouraged me to figure something out. And that's when I, (laughs) my first idea was, sorry, it's like the very long version of this story, but this is what the podcast is about, right? It's okay. Exactly. So (laughs) my first business idea was oh fuck what was it called it was basically to make tiny work something tiny that's a work of art right I was like what's accessible rubber stamps (laughs) so my first business idea that I even got like a what's the fucking name what is that called when you get a name like you register your name not a trademark like before that like the, like I can't think of it right now. Prop yeah, you go to the court of county, whatever, and you, I want to say IBN, but that's not it. <laughs> oh, you're, yeah, yeah. I'm writing a book, so I have like book shit in my head. You're writing a book? Okay. I'm writing a book. <laughs> yes, I am. Okay. I know. So, okay. Back on track. Sorry, I'm a Gemini. So I, this rubber stamp business. And I'm like, this is fucking dumb. Like no one's going to want to buy my little rubber stamps. Although I do actually want to make rubber stamps, but I haven't got, there's not a huge demand for these rubbers. And then I, okay. I was like, what else is small? Oh, pins like lapel pins. I'm like, Oh, they're really, that's a thing. Like I used to go to Disneyland and people have the lanyards and that's sort of a trend that's never really gone away. Surprisingly, it hasn't knock on wood gone away. <laughs> but I made I was like, I want to make things for witches because at the same time I'm figuring out what the fuck I want to do. I as Laura am like 
there's nothing for witches that fits my aesthetic and my style at the time. I grew up in the 90s where there was like Spencer's gifts with like, the only option was like a bloody demon headed pentagram with blood dripping down it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. But it was not my vibe. So I was like, fuck it. I want to make stuff that I would want and what I want to see exist because at the time there was not many witch shops. This is 20 around 20 tail into 16, 2017 is when I started Lady Moon Co. So we have the same timeline. Oh yeah. Well, that's probably why we connected because at the time there was just entrepreneurship on Instagram. It was there, but it wasn't like it is now. It's definitely that time. Maybe it was just a coincidence, but in my little niche community, that's when that sort of that boom kind of started as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, I made a pin representing like the four elements, like a very simple pin. And I made a few more and started with three pins and I launched October 1st, 2017. So that's kind of the story. And then people actually liked it. (laughs) And so did you quit a job at the time or so you were auditioning? So you maybe didn't have a steady job at that point. I worked at like, I don't even know what you'd call them. A store. I worked at a, I won't name them because I don't like them. And it didn't end well, although I want to name them. But they're a store, a cool store that was vibey that I worked at at the time, I think. And so I did not quit. No, I absolutely did not quit my job because, as you know, you can't just like quit your day job at first when you start doing this shit. Like you have to, it took a long time to be a full-time thing for me. I even at like a year into the business still wasn't full-time. And I was, in fact, that's when I became a real estate agent. I was like, okay, this isn't quite paying the bills. Like I live in Los Angeles. It's expensive. What else can I do on the side? And so I got my real estate license and I was gonna, (laughs) I was gonna market myself as the realtor witch. And I was going to be like, let me assess your home and like, let me teach you how to cleanse it and blah, blah, blah. And like all these things. And sort of right after I got to the point where I, w- I had to make a decision between the two, because Lady Moonco started to pick up this real estate agent shit is a very steep learning curve. If you've ever done that or know anybody that anybody's listening, you know, like you can't just half-ass being a real estate agent. Like it's a steep learning curve. It's easy, relatively easy. It was easy for me to get to pass the test. But then after that, it was like, oh, what forms? What the fuck does all this mean? So I had to pick and I was like, well, goodbye. I'm obviously going to water this plant because this is the plant I want to be watering, you know? So to answer your question, no, I did not quit any job. Okay, so backing up a little bit, tell me about your witchcraft journey. You said you were self-taught and you discovered witchcraft and magic when you were little. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I was not brought up in a household that was religious at all. I didn't have to go to church. I didn't have, not that that is a fact. It was a factor for me because it gave me the freedom to explore and to just completely without bias or and without any sort of influence, figure that stuff out for myself. So I didn't know, you know, what the name of it was when I was a kid, but I definitely had a connection to the natural world that was different than other people. And I would communicate with, (laughs) this is going to sound whatever I'm which, I would talk to the moon and the moon would talk to me. And that was that energy was my calling and my way it was just called to me and was there for me and supported me and it's why my company is named lady moon co it's just i've always had like that's like the center of i feel like for everyone every witch it's a little bit different like what got you into it was it cultural was it like something you were taught which is absolutely beautiful like what was your in and for me it was the moon so you know, that's why. Did I answer your question? Oh, no. So, then, okay. So then, 
<laughs> okay, so little witch Laura, do to do, doing stuff, burning things. And then I discovered again, I was I'm a nineties kid. The craft came out, it was like the witch boom of the nineties. And I discovered like all these Wicca books and these like super problematic books now, but like back then that was all we had, like just this influence of this super boom of witchcraft. So I picked up that and I was like, oh, that's what I am. Like, that's where I got the term witch. And I I was maybe around like 11 or 12 or 13 and started heavily experimenting with that with friends, you know, but then they actually kind of got over it, but I just never got over, I never got out of that habit or that phase. It's just sort of developed. What practices did you have? I would just do whatever was in the books. A lot of the time when I got the books, I was like, well, I need to follow these spells. So I remember one of the first things I did was like, I painted hearts on a rock. I remember that. I remember burning a lot of things experimentally. There was like candle wax all over my floor, like my carpeted floor as a kid. And my mom was all pissed off about it. It was things that I read in the books mostly in the beginning. But then from there, I learned I'm not Wiccan personally. No offense to anybody that is, but it's an organized religion with like boundaries and I'm not a part of that. So once I learned that, I sort of just said, well, fuck that. And I started doing my own thing, which has developed into what I do today. So, yeah. And what sort of practices are you drawn to these days? So funny, this is sort of what the book I'm writing is about. I operate completely on intuition, honestly. I don't read spell books. I, as a creatrix and a creative being, that's sort of the platform that I jump off of when I do magic. I work, I call it spontaneous magic. I work in the moment with the things that are around me. And most importantly, like when I feel called, I don't operate on like every fucking full moon. I got to do something like I don't believe that you get the best results from doing things when they're on a tight schedule or an expected schedule. So yeah, they're often really not because we do magic all day, right? We do magic every day without knowing it. We perform spells and rituals without knowing it. So something I do every day is I take a shower. And when I do that, I have the awareness and the intent that that shower is not only cleansing my body, but it's cleansing like my insides and my spirit and my soul and resetting me. So just that added intention is a spell. You know, it's things like that, that I do more often than like the big grandiose rituals. Does that make sense? It does. I very much identify with that. Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love this. Yeah, this idea of just magic is happening all the time, you know, whether it's intentional or not, or even just the act of bringing intention into some of these everyday things can be really powerful and magical and just, you know, trying our best to live an intentional life, (laughs) you know? Yeah, well, that's part of the reason why I'm writing the book I'm writing and I want to encourage people. I'm like going to cry. I want to encourage people to use their own creative powers and intentions and just use their own imaginative like qualities to create their own practice that can be for them. And it's not like bowing to like the expectations of witch talk or other things that are, we're just so inundated with other people's shit and it's just not the way I taught myself. So there's this constant like, the doors hitting the, I don't know what I'm doing with my hands, but if anyone's watching, you can see what I'm doing. It's just, there's a lot of pushback I have internally about that. Sometimes it gets a little off balance for me. So I want to remind people that they can, you know, their magic is like personal and it's for them. And yeah, it's important. I think it's important to remember, especially now. Yeah, I think there's a lot of imposter syndrome in the witch community as well. Yes. Business yes. Like, I'm not witch enough, or I'm not real business, or whatever, and really stepping, or even an artist. I'm not an artist, right? All of these things. Yes. Like, well, other people are that. I'm not that. 
And like, that's a bunch of bullshit that we all need to work through and like step into our power with these things. And then it's going to work better, right? For all of those words, stepping into being an artist, stepping into being a business owner, being a witch, there's power in like taking those words on. And witchcraft goes great with being a creative because witchcraft to me is all about knowing your power and knowing that it comes from inside of you and that it can be a little bit of a lonely, you know, thing historically. <laughs> There's a lot of solitary, <laughs> all of it, <laughs> especially historically, for the it's <laughs> a little isolating, but there's, I think there's a reason for that. Ultimately, it's been really interesting seeing the communities that have formed from social media and how it's affected witches today in really, really fucking amazing good ways. Like I can have a business and support myself through witchcraft and also in really shitty ways where it's like people making people feel like they're not enough or, you know, of course we're going to have those sort of things, but yeah. I do think that ties in with being a creative, absolutely, and not being... I just, like, recently felt like I was a real artist. I had someone once tell me, who was a person I worked with early on that is no longer in my life, say that I was not a real artist. Like, someone actually told me that. A fellow, like, person. And I was like, wow. Person. I don't think real artists tell other people they're not real artists. (laughs) But okay. So I've been through a lot of shit and I've worked through that. And, you know, it's not only just like not feeling like an artist, but knowing that if you design things, but you maybe pay other people to execute that art, you're still an artist. You're a designer. And especially because I'm not a trained fucking fine artist. I'm going to be real honest right now. I hand draw things now that I would never imagine that I could draw. I just drew an entire deck that's a food oracle deck. And it's still in production right now, but I drew everything. And it was so fucking rewarding to just do that and be like, I fucking did that, you know? Because I think the thing about being an artist that people, like a fine artist, like drawing like visuals is that, Again, like witchcraft, like what's unique about that is your perspective and your style. The way you draw a line, if it's fucked up looking, that gives it character. Like (laughs) I've developed, I've just, it's interesting to me having zero fine art drawing experience. Like we all have a natural ability to express ourselves that way. And it's been really fucking interesting seeing people actually really like the way I draw shit. I have limitations and I get help when I have those limitations because I'm a fucking designer, but people need to realize that if you're like, I want to start an apparel company, but I can't draw, try. And if you can't hire a designer, there are designers that you pay for their work to help you bring your vision to life. That is what ginormous corporations do all the time. And fashion designers, like, Things like that, people don't realize. They get hung up with like the, oh, I have to draw it myself for it to be real. And it's like, no, that's what designers do. They see the big picture and they have help to bring that vision to life a lot of the time. You know what I'm saying? And that took me a long time to realize. I so identify with all of this. I mean, because we have, you know, similar outputs of product or like systems. Yeah. I'm not screen printing things myself. I'm drawing things, you know, I'm sending them to, you know, the screen printer. I'm not sewing the shirts. I'm not sewing my little uterus pouches anymore. And I haven't like picked up a paintbrush in a few years and was really feeling like, okay, I'm not an artist anymore, which is like some BS because like everything I do is art, but I feel like I'm more of an artist now that I've like dove into ceramics for fun which is like also some bullshit and like but it's interesting it's so interesting like where do we get these ideas and like how we can take these on and like just make us feel shame or guilt or like not enough for all of these things and I think like sort of taking it back a lot of our community doesn't 
they want to make everything, right? They don't feel like it's their product if their hands aren't making it. And we're not going to grow that way. You can only make so many things. You're not going to grow. You're not going to be able to scale. Well, that's what entrepreneurship comes in. That's where being a businesswoman comes in. And if you're, I totally get if you're like, I draw the paintings, that's a different type of artist. And a lot of the time you'll see that with famous fucking artists. Like they weren't able to expand on their shit because they're brilliant at one thing and they won't kind of, maybe it's not for them to let go of that control. Maybe that's what makes their painting special. But if we're talking about owning a business and being a business owner and creating something and wanting it to grow, you have to do that. You have to outsource. You have to. You have to outsource in some you way. You have to. Do you want to tell us a little bit about like your design to production process? Yeah. Is there anything like in particular? I have so much shit. <laughs> I, I think- guess it's just... Go ahead. Oh, I just think people are like, again, stuck on the outsourcing thing. So I think they would be interested in hearing like how you design things. And then like, I mean, if you don't want to like share who your manufacturers are, but just like how you even go about finding manufacturers and like working with them and getting them into your hands. Right. So, well, obviously it's an idea, you know, But yeah, you're, you know, they're absolutely right to be like, how the fuck do I source this? Because sourcing manufacturers is the number one most time consuming thing if you haven't done it a bajillion times like I have. A lot of things, like a lot of things in this world, in this country, are produced in China. Full transparency, a lot of my stuff is produced in China. And I've gotten really good at communicating with Chinese manufacturers. So Alibaba is a big source for me to find really random shit that I can afford to make. Because quite honestly, when I can make something in the US and get something made affordably for my business, I will absolutely. And of course, I would like prefer that. But I personally don't have a problem with I have to, I have to outsource like that internationally, like I have to, because it's affordable for a small ass business. You know what I mean? If I got to the point where I was like fucking Jeff Bezos and shit, like I would change that, you know, or like think about reevaluate that. But, but I, I, yeah, first of all, you got to be comfortable with that. If you're making things like lapel pins and like trade secret, there's a lot of middle companies like middlemen companies that speak really good English and they're very like user-friendly that you can go through to get pins made you will pay for that service and that's built into the cost of the pins but you can do that I can't think of any right now but they're there like you've heard of them right but if you go direct to the source and you can communicate with those lovely people I love them I fucking talk to them all the time And they're like my friends (laughs) because they're people too. And they're just doing their jobs and they're great salespeople and their English is fucking bomb. And even if it's not, you learn how to communicate. That's the way you can save. It's cheaper to go direct. It just is. That was my point. It's almost craft fair season. Craft fair applications for vendors are open now for both Oakland, California, and Salem, Massachusetts. We have a May show for Oakland. That's May 20th at Oakland Scottish Rite. And we have two shows for Salem, Massachusetts, the third Saturday of June, third Saturday of July. So go ahead and apply now. You can go to girlgangcraft.com slash events. And our apps close for our Oakland Spring events, April 14th. And our apps close for our Salem Summer events on April 28th. You can actually apply to the whole year right now for Oakland and Salem through the holidays. But we're not going to get back to you for the back half of the year. You have definitely heard me talk about diversifying your revenue streams as a business owner. As a product-based business owner, your best bet for diversifying your revenue is to be everywhere in multiple places. So this means multiple platforms and perhaps this means retailers. 
You can reach out to retailers and pitch them your product, or you can be on a wholesale platform like FAIR, F-A-I-R-E. FAIR, think of FAIR as like an Etsy for retailers. So retailers can come onto the platform and shop for items to have in their stores. FAIR is a really great way to get your product everywhere, into retailers and even into like beauty salons. So you can go ahead and sign up for FAIR today and go to fair.com slash apply slash girl gang craft. So again, that's fair, F-A-I-R-E.com slash apply girl gang craft and get your product everywhere. And like, so are you working with the same factories over and over again, or are you like switching things up for new products? Tell us a little bit about that. It depends if I have two, for instance, I have two pin manufacturers. i ping pong back and forth with because one of them I know one of them will do like the very intricate cuts on a pin and designs and one of them is like nah we're not gonna do that (laughs) so if you know pins are small sometimes the art if it's intricate and there's a lot of cutouts is what we call cutouts in the pin biz the cutout spaces that one actually doesn't have any. I'm trying like the pentacle wreath pin I have where it's like a star with essentially a circle around it, right? But the, you know, the in-between little star bits need to be cut out of the design. So that's a really intricate one that I had to go to the other manufacturer for. I only go to them for that kind of shit and when I need something that's a little cheaper because the main manufacturer I go to is a little more expensive. So it's like, you kind of just get to know like the quality of a place. And if you build a relationship with them, there's often like benefits of like rewards or like just have just knowing them and trusting them, you know, like, so a lot of the time it's the same manufacturers. But for instance, if I'm like, like right now I'm on the hunt for the most random shit, I want to make like a crystal ball shaped pill cutter. For medication. Yes. Sign me up. No one fucking steal that that's listening. <laughs> I will find you. Copyrighted right here. <laughs> but like I'm a Lexapro lady. Okay. And I have to cut my pill in half because I'm on a 2.5 every day. And every time I look at it, I'm like, this is so ugly. And just like, I want it to be magical. <laughs> and so then you're like, yeah. Yeah. And then it gets all, I just don't like it. They don't have aesthetic pill cutters and I want it to exist. So that's hard. If you're like, I want that to exist. My process would be, okay, fuck. I'm not an engineer. I can barely render a 3d mock-up. I can't do that. The fuck. I can't do that shit. So right now I'm like, okay, I need to sort of sketch out the anatomical layout of a crystal ball shaped pill cutter. I haven't had time to do that because then I have to take the pill cutter I have and sort of, you know, so I can send it to them to be like, can you make something like this? Because they'll do a lot of the times they'll do different color variations, engraving. They have the product already and they're like, what can we stamp on it? What color can we change to make it personalized? But for me to be like, hey, can you make a whole new fucking thing? is going to be probably an expensive like mold fee and complicated for them. But I think it's worth it. (laughs) And also just getting them to agree to do it will be difficult. So, and them, I don't know who them is. I have to basically, you will find pill cutter manufacturers. You will find them. But finding somebody that would make that for me is another story. So it's just the right balance of like, will they do it? Is it cost effective within reason? What's their minimum order quantity? Because a lot of the time with Alibaba, they're big. You probably get a sample for something like that. Yeah. It's mostly photos, honestly. I'm not like a send me a sample person. I'm like, just show me a fucking picture. (laughs) Let's speed this this along. (laughs) But you absolutely can pay for samples. And then just see if they'll say yes, honestly. In the past, things I've looked for, similar things. Like I've had, you have to message like 20 different people sometimes. Yeah, what about your cloaks? Those were handmade by my friend Sabrina, who's a seamstress here in LA. 
Awesome. Okay. So those are really special things that are expensive as fuck to make because you're paying like a person here to friend that has, you know, you know, it's just, it's expensive. And then I might know my audience's price points aren't super high. So you have to take that into consideration too. It's like, will people even buy this? You know, and I underpriced them for what I paid. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) No, no, uh, no, no, no. Go ahead. It's fine. I would love to know a little bit more about your pricing. And also, I know you have some wholesale accounts. How do you price your items? Well, wholesale typically is half of retail. So that's what I do. And then I sort of, I look at like the market value of things a lot of the time. Like what are, what are other people kind of charging for this? And with like something like a pen, it's like, okay, what's the, what's about that? And then, you know, yearly, I sort of reevaluate like the first time I raised my prices was like last year, I think where I was like, okay, like the economy, (laughs) but something like a Cape, it's like, okay, I, how much did I pay? Cause the thing with the capes is like, I'm sourcing the material. I'm sketched it out. And then she made me a custom pattern. And then there's the labor and I have to get buttons and it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's actually why I'm steering away from apparel like completely this year. And I say completely, I probably will make a few, but yeah, like the capes I don't make anymore because I can't afford them. And like your shirts, just your like sort of screen printed shirts, are those made overseas or those local? Those are local. My printers are local. I have a friend who owns a print shop, so I support him. So like things like that, like when you can, there's a lot of local printers that are great, you know, and a lot of the time the quality is better because I haven't had good luck with overseas. I did one batch of tanks and I fucking hated them. I do not recommend apparel overseas. Like I don't, for some reason, I haven't had good luck with that. Maybe I'm just looking in the wrong places, but like... I didn't have time to vet 20 different t-shirts. They had a really cute like tank on the mock-up. And I was like, ooh, that's really cute. Like the fit of it looked really nice and the shape of it. And then I got it and it was completely baggy and not the same thing. And I was like, damn it. I've had really good luck, but this time I got screwed. But luckily on Alibaba and a lot of other platforms, you can request a refund or a partial re I got a partial refund for them because they weren't even the same color print that I wanted. Like it was, and I'm very thorough about this is exactly what I want. This is the hex. This is the whatever, like you have to be really, you know, like be real specific. And it, I was like, no, this is and the first and only time I've ever done that, you know, but it was really bad. <laughs> so that's good to know. Yeah. Okay, so tell us about your marketing strategy. Also, maybe a little bit about your... <laughs> you're laughing. <laughs> marketing strategy. You have one girl working for you, right? Or you have a few Yes, people? Feather. Okay, Feather, Feather is my only employee. Feather's amazing. Feather is my assistant. She does my customer service, which is essential for my mental well-being. I could not keep doing this if I had to answer customer emails. There's no way. So Feather deals with that. She also does orders for me and things I'm bad at. I basically have her do things I suck at. And that's what you should do when you hire somebody. I fuck up orders a lot. Like I'll mix up things. I don't, for whatever reason, I think I'm a little dyslexic or on the spectrum. It's fine. But when I read, I skip things. And it's sometimes my brain just tells me, People ordered three of something when they ordered six or whatever. Like, it's just, yeah, that used to piss me off a lot because when you do your best at something and you know you're doing the best you can and it's still not enough and it's not correct, it sucks. So that's why I hired Feather. And then she's become like, I'll like bounce ideas off of her. It was her idea for us to make the croc charms, which is insane you know, she's like my best friend. So, and yeah, it's just like a nice little friends. So yeah, but I would like to hire somebody else. 
but you know when it's slower which it has been this year and when people don't have money to buy which tchotchkes i do things myself when i can you know i do a lot i do all the marketing myself i don't pay for ads at all that's not something i'm like we should never pay for ads but that's something i'd actually like to work on this year a goal of mine is to have somebody that knows email marketing really well and knows like seo stuff and all that shit i would like to have someone like look at that and just because i know i would benefit from it i just i just don't a lot i guess a lot of it is instagram and word of mouth and having multiple platforms multiple platforms what does that mean i have an etsy shop and a website and a fair, which is a wholesale website. So I'm not just operating off of one thing. I think Etsy has saved my ass in the past year. Etsy and fair have been incredible for me. Etsy sucks, but it brings in the foot traffic so well. I can't complain, honestly. It's been really a nice constant source of income when my shop wasn't. Like Etsy would make more than my shop, you know? So, but you don't direct people yeah. there from your social. You sort of have that separate as a thing going on. I direct them. I feel like people sometimes prefer Etsy. Interesting. And they're just Etsy people and they like their Etsy's. And so I do direct them in my bio link to Etsy, like all the things. It's like, but our Shopify and our ladymoon.co website is the first thing for sure. That's like the hub. And then I feel like Etsy is like a little, offshoot where I put things that have a lot of I have a lot of quantities of like I don't put apparel on Etsy apparel is a nightmare I don't wish on anyone the sizing the keeping track of the what's in stock and that I have fucked up on inventory doing that so many times that it's it would be a nightmare to split because I have to split the quantities between the inventory between Etsy and my shop pins like oh i ordered 300 pins oh okay well that's easy math put half and half or put if you know that you know you sell more of something on one platform put more of it on the platform but apparel is no i'm done with that for now (laughs) fuck that you think you get most of your traffic from social media or email or social media social media a hundred percent but I have been working on my emails, like campaigns, like this year and last year, definitely been, <laughs> huh? I've been getting them. Yes. Oh, good. Yeah. They're not perfect. And I'm not like, oh, I'm so good at this, but like they get the, I don't know, they get the job done, you know, but I know there's an art to it. I know there's analytics and all this shit. I'm just not an analytical brained person. I'm like a, do I feel like this is the time? Yes. Send. Do I feel like this is the now send? And I think that there's something to that, but I also think there's something to being very like looking at analytics and people ask me all the time, like, what are your views and per week or whatever the fuck? And I'm like, I have no idea. I don't, that bogs me down and I can't do that. I'm not a numbers person, I guess is what I'm saying. Like I know, you know, finances and things, but I don't, I'm not like a person that'll post something and then check the analytics of the post and the time, like I just can't, I've been doing that shit for, I've been on Instagram for so long every day posting shit. And it's really hard to get viewed now, like for whatever reason, likes and attention. I mean, I think I know why that is. People are tired and our attention spans are this long. And so when you're scrolling through things, even liking something takes a second. It takes too much time. And so I understand why it has to be really eye-catching and interesting for people to like pay attention. And I get that. I respect that. But it's hard, you know, and especially when it's not really like your fault when you're not. And I mean that like you're putting out good things, things people in the past have wanted to see. 
I think looking at those things fucks with your mental health for me, for me personally. But that's part of why I would like some, uh, why big corporations hire people to do that. You know, like doing everything yourself is exhausting. It's insane. It's insane. And that's why I have mad respect for people that do it, that do this work for themselves because it is absolutely worth it, but it's not, you know, I'm not doing everything that I could to the max of everything, but so what, you know, am I able to do, am I able to like support myself financially? Yeah. Could it be better? Yeah. That's the struggle. That's the capitalism fucking capitalistic world we fucking live in, you know? It's crazy. It's so, yeah, I wouldn't want people to feel like it's too late to start a business or it's like, because it's not. It's absolutely not. Ceramics people fucking kill. I love ceramics. I'd actually really like to do it. I did it when I was a kid and I was like really fucking good at it. So I, but you know, growing a ceramics business is hard. And the reason why I think businesses like that, that are completely handmade and unique do so well because they're completely unique and handmade and they can only make 30 items a drop. And of course it's going to sell out. And then there's demand. And then there's like the, oh shit, they're going to sell out and they sell out every time. And that's great. And it's wonderful. But how do you grow that without hiring other people to help you make ceramics in your style and then let, you know, and then it's like, well, she didn't actually make it. It's like that there was a bag company that was like, they made these really cool bags and then they were so in demand that they had to outsource. So they sold like a similar bag, their design for like cheaper and it sold still, but it was, I thought that was really cool that they did that, that they were able to take like something handmade and like monetize on it even more because that's a lot of work. I have ceramics friends. It's fucking you're just constantly making shit. And I love making shit, but I think having the different cycles of my favorite is the design phase, you know, where we're like, I'm like, Oh, I get to be creative. And like when I was drawing all the cards for that deck and like just designing shit, I really like that part. And then my baby's in production and I'm like, okay, that's kind of miss it. You know? How do you do like drops and launches? Are you someone who has like, you know, a small amount and sort of does a scarcity like launch situation or do you have things available at all times? I mostly have things available at all times. It depends because like I said, like when I make like a pin or I outsource a lot and have like decks, for instance, I don't order. I don't just put out like it's just like a lot for me to do. I understand the strategy behind that being like, there's only 10 slots available for this. I'm just like, no, there's not. I have a hundred fucking decks. Just buy them. I don't have the time to plan those things. Like for my spell spaces, I design these, like they're basically round blankets. I'm doing a circle with my hands. And for those of you that are listening and they're like my favorite thing I've ever designed. They're like portable traveling altar spaces like worship devotional whatever spaces that you can take with you camping to the picnic whatever and i just designed like goddess inspired ones so i have like a persephone blanket coming out and like a an aphrodite blanket and i decided to do pre-orders for those because that helps get the ball rolling and you know get some funds to like order them and it's just a nice little head start And so, yeah, I'm not dropping them with like, oh, there's only 50 available. It's not. And just, you know, just fucking put it up. So I just put it up. And I'm doing that like, okay, there's a special like pre-order price. And you can like really good discounts for the first, you know, for the week that the pre-order is open. There's a time frame to the pre-order because you don't leave it up forever. You know, there's a week you get a discount help us get the ball rolling, boom, done. Like, I think it gets a little complicated to me when, but it does work. The scarcity shit does work. It really does. I just don't think, I just don't think to me, I'm like, I don't buy that. Like, why would my audience buy that? Cause I'm like, they have, 
I don't know. I just know how it works. So I'm just like, eh. If it's a discount, like, oh, like the first 50 people to order today get, that's different. I'm just, yeah, I know what you're talking about though. And I'm just like, there's something there, but it's not my style. I don't think I'm pretty transparent. I think that's my superpower and also my biggest flaw probably, but that's just who I am. Like, I don't, I think that's why I'm successful, honestly, is that I'm able to be very relatable and grounded and yeah, I don't, I don't pull shit like that with people. I think they, you know, I don't know. Everyone's different, but that's my selling style is definitely not aggressive. That's what I'm trying to get at. I worked at Lush for a long time and their selling style is making you approach people multiple times during their visit, even if they tell you to go away. That's not cool. That's not my style. That's not who I am. I'm not what you'd call perky. Okay. Like that's, I like to let people do their thing and just be there. You know, I'm always there. I'll be there for you. I'm just not going to get in your face about it. But that's, that's something I've had to, you know, check because you want to be excited about your product. So if other people are excited about your product, you can't just be like, there's a thing I made. Enjoy, you know? So yeah, when you post multiple times about something, especially with emails, you have to remember that like people don't see it the way you see it. Like to me, I'm like, God, I'm fucking bothering people. Like I don't want to bug them with my shit. They're going to unsubscribe. But like a lot of the time they're like, I didn't even see it. Or they'll see like one email out of the six that you send. Like, yeah, I think being repetitive is okay. Like I've learned that too. I'm on a total tangent. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, that's okay. We love it. That's always good advice. I mean, I, you know, I tell people all the time to, you know, send a couple emails, keep doing it, even though we don't want to take up space. Even though it's like hard for us to take up space. And we're like, exactly. I don't want to post two times a day or three times this week or whatever, because people are gonna be sick of my face. No, they're not. No, they're not. No, they're not. They're not for you. Exactly. No, you better just put your face all up in that shit. Because it's, (laughs) you have to be like audacious about you have to be audacious to do this. You have to be driven in some sort of way. You can't be passive, I guess. Not this day and age. (laughs) Not the age of let's do a TikTok dance, which is not my thing. Sorry if anyone does that, but I'm not that girl. What song is there? There's a song called I'm Not That. I'm not a Nas Britney. That's I'm Not a Girl, Not Yet a Woman. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sure. (laughs) Just not that person. So you have to make up for that in other ways. I guess I have to make up for that that I will not be doing TikTok trend dances. Do you have TikTok? What's your experience with TikTok? I love TikTok. It's different. It's totally different because my, you know, community feels very community oriented on Instagram. On both my accounts, I feel like I know everyone. Like, you know, maybe not personally, but I know a lot of people personally. Yeah, no, totally. And TikTok feels a little bit less community oriented, but maybe that's just like the timeline. and. But it's fascinating. I treat it like as a full experiment. Like I'm just like, let's just put this stuff out there, see how it goes. And then I sort of take that stuff from the TikTok that does well and put it on Instagram. And sometimes that doesn't translate. Actually, sometimes the stuff that doesn't do well on TikTok does well on Instagram because like people already know me or something. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's interesting. It feels like a foreign, like I'll make a reel by making it on TikTok. I don't know if that's the way, but it's the way I do it. And then I like put it through TickMate or some shit that takes the watermark out, keeps the sound. Because I'm a business profile, I can't use songs on Instagram. Like it won't, it doesn't let me. I have like the free shit, but it's stupid. So You could change to a creator account if you want to. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I've debated that for a while. Yeah. But yeah, that's so that's, I should so probably do that. But I'm like afraid to because like, for you know what I mean? For so long, I've been like this one way and I'm like, ooh, do I, you know what I mean? I'm like, I don't want to fucking piss it off or something. (laughs) Hear it. Who knows? Who knows? I want to hear about your podcast though. Oh, so my very good friend, Caitlin Grania and I do a podcast called Third Eye Find and... Third Eye, not to be confused with the band Third Eye Blind, 
<laughs> it's fun when you Google us. It's like third eye. Did you mean third eye blind? I'm like, no, it's a pun. So we do a podcast blog style podcast. So it's a video. We have a little set. There's audio and video available. And it's about different witchcraft, witchcraft. (laughs) I can't talk. Topics. And we sort of think outside the box with them and sort of examine them from all sides through trickster energy. So trickster energy is that, is looking at the norm and thinking, well, what else is there to this? And what what challenges this? And what else, you know? And we're both Geminis and we're both very that. I'm moving my hands frantically. And for those you must, of you, Earth in your chart, though. I'm a Taurus rising. Okay, okay, great. Yes, yes. Okay. I am a, a Gemini sun and moon and a Taurus rising. So... That keeps me not insane. Is that Taurus? <laughs> yes, I'm very much a Taurus presenting person. Okay. But I'm also insane. So, <laughs> but we're fun and we talk about important things that don't get talked about a lot. And yeah, that's the vibe. And where can it's we listen fun. to it? You can listen to us on all the things that you listen to all the things on. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you can watch us on YouTube. Did you know that on Spotify, if there's a video podcast, it'll play the video on Spotify? You know, that's interesting because I did see that. Do you have to upload the video like separately? I don't think so. Interesting. I don't know. My husband does all that shit. So that's interesting. I'll get back to you on that. But there is a, yeah, there is a visual aspect to it now. Yeah, that's cool. I saw that on Call Her Daddy. So I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) cool so okay so you can watch on spotify and then the video comes up but if you want to watch on youtube you can or on apple yep. podcast. and it's just third eye bind third eye bind or third eye bind pod one of the two will pop up and where can we find you and purchase your witchy items we are on instagram at lady moon co or on tiktok i think it's lady moon co <laughs> we're on etsy at lady moon company because for some reason back in the day, Lady Moon Co. wasn't available, which is dumb. It's fine. It's an abbreviation of the same thing. If you want to follow me on my personal account, which is a joke, you can follow Laura Amy Wong for like zero content. Yeah, I think that's it. Mostly. Mostly Instagram. I'm around. Yeah. And we'll we'll put your links in the show notes so people can just click directly into the podcast as well. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Laura. This was an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you for letting me talk about business because I needed to vomit out a lot of things and I don't get to talk. I don't get to talk about it a lot. It's not a, our podcast isn't a business podcast. So <laughs> Maybe I had a like, lot of things to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so it. much. Thank you so much for listening to the Girl Gang Craft podcast. Head to girlgangcraft.com slash podcast for show notes and more. See you next time.